Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, my friend, and welcome back to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. I am Louise Makshari. Very happy to be with you today. Um, This is Monday, so that means it's our news catch-up episode. Going to catch you up on everything. Excuse me. My voice is not playing ball today. I don't know what is going on. Maybe it's because I had such a wild weekend. I actually didn't. I I was out on Friday night. I went to House of Wig. I had been hearing just such amazing things about House of Wig. It's a drag show um, that is on intermittently, um, usually in the Sugar Club in Dublin. And everybody had been saying to me, you've got to go. Like, they are amazing and um they have what they call the house party and uh it was brilliant it was so so good it was so good I had a great time I love drag like I just think it's an art form I love everything about it um and these young drag stars are really killing it um Shakira Knightley, Donna Fella and Naomi Diamond are who I saw on Friday um, and they were just so, so, so good. And PJ Kirby was hosting. It was just so fun. Highly recommend. Get your tickets. Keep your eye out on the House of Wig Instagram. It's H-A-U-S, obviously, um, for the initiated. Um, it was really good, really good fun. And actually, we went for dinner beforehand in the RHA gallery on Eli Place. Um, you if you're not familiar with the RHA, highly recommend popping in there. They have really good shows on regularly um, if you're into art. And who isn't? Art is for everyone. But there is a restaurant there um, at the moment, which I hadn't heard of. Uh, and I am going to butcher this pronunciation of the name now. I'm so ashamed of myself. One million percent should have checked this beforehand. Marga, M-A-R-G-A-D-H. Um, so yeah, they have lunch, dinner, wine, um, tasting menus. We went for the tasting menu. It's really reasonable for a tasting menu and the food was so, so delicious. Um, so there you go. Those are my tips for you for a Friday night. And then the rest of the weekend I spent with children. I was babysitting my two nieces on Saturday. So myself and my two boys decamped to their house. So for 24 hours, it was just me and four children, um, age seven, two four-year-olds, and a one-year-old and the one-year-old was the easiest one would you believe um no it was really fun but I was definitely exhausted and then we went straight from there to a second birthday party for uh, our gorgeous baby friend we have well she's not a baby anymore toddler friend that we have in our family um and then 
it, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of intense kid time over this weekend. And it was very fun, but I am very tired. And that's probably why my voice isn't playing ball. My God, that is a long ramble at the start of the podcast. But I did tell you I would give recommendations to you as I had them. I also am watching one day like everybody else. And um, I'm really enjoying it. More to come on that and on. Now, though, let's get into the news. There is, as I said, loads and loads to discuss. We talk about kneecap on the Late Late Show and that RTE policy. We talk about what is going on with RTE in general. Are we listening to the Catholic bishops on the upcoming referendum? We talk about the price of formula. We talk about body and soul. There's so much to talk about. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Carl Kinsella. Happy Monday to you. How are you? Good morning, Louise. I see, it still feels strange talking on a Monday morning. I know. I haven't got it straight yet at all. I was at a kid's birthday party yesterday and um, a couple of the girls who were there very kindly listen. And they were like, how are you finding it? And I was like, I honestly have no idea because I keep remembering that I have to do things that I haven't done. I'm not, you know, I'm not in the routine yet. Like yesterday afternoon, I was like, oh, no, I have to send I have to send stories to Carl so we can figure out what we're going to talk about. I'm not used to doing that on a Sunday. And But every, the feedback's been really good. Everybody seems to be enjoying the... The separated. That's great news. Yeah, even when I got the email yesterday, being like stories, I was like, "Oh what? no!" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That's the unfortunate bit of um of recording on a Monday is that we do have to kind of engage on a Sunday. But sure, look, we're here now, and there's loads Plus, to discuss. Yeah, and, and I'm engaging anyway. You know, it's my job. So. Yeah. Well, you just simply love the news, don't you, Carl? It's who you are. That's it. I cannot get enough. You cannot. <laughs> me away from the news <laughs> okay the well get me away from the news yeah um so as usual gaza is at the top of our list in terms of uh, topics to discuss but there's actually loads of different facets of what's happening there to chat about this week i mean let's first start with the latest on what's actually happened there yeah so obviously the current situation is we've kind of been treading over similar ground for the last couple of weeks in terms of the focus being on Rafa, but it, it's, it is because it's it's really the only the only place left in the territory of Gaza. Mm -hmm. And we're still seeing people, you know, on, on Saturday night into Sunday morning, there was nearly 100 people killed in, in airstrikes. So it kind of goes to show, you know, we've had updates in the last couple of weeks where we've had sort of pressure from the ICJ, we've had pressure from Leo Varadkar and the Spanish prime minister, mm -hmm. But the fact remains that, like, these things move very slowly, while military force moves very quickly, particularly mm -hmm. one that's funded as well as the the IDF, you know, because they get so much aid from the United States. So they are they're still conducting airstrikes. The ground invasion hasn't re into Rafa hasn't really begun in earnest yet, but you're still seeing like, you know, huge uh, amounts of death and destruction and and it is just awful you know it's, i think it's it's two weeks ago now is the super bowl final which is when we saw some just really vivid and, and horrifying images and that the pace of that that destruction and horror just hasn't it hasn't actually slowed down at all so mm. i think people do you know from time to time you know day in day out might not be paying attention um but yeah the the, the atrocities very much continue this week even and even aside from that the, we're talking about people who are now starving as well because the un are not able to get food in um i saw this morning that apparently it's been weeks since they've been able to get a proper food delivery in um so even aside from the actual violence people are just literally starving yeah, and it's it spilled over into I don't I don't know if you saw this Louise over the weekend a, a man named Aaron Bushnell. Mm -hmm. um, this is a, a 
a U.S. Air Force veteran mm. who he set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., wow. and he live streamed the entire thing. You know, like, you know, and this is he I think he referred to it as an extreme form of protest. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people do consider it to be just the final most desperate cry. And he, he did succumb to his injuries and he did pass away as a 25 year old man. Um, wow. And it, it is just it's it's just so horrifying. And it it. You know, it's it's terrible to look at a situation like that where a man has sort of paid the ultimate price for something they believe in and to think that it, this might not make any difference at all. And it, yeah. it just it gets at the heart of why this is so troubling and so chilling and so horrifying. Mm. And uh, yeah, but that man's name was Aaron Bushnell. Uh, he was 25 years old. Wow, I had missed that. I, I can only imagine that if you're someone who actually has served in the armed forces in America and you're watching this happen and you're watching the money the, the millions of dollars be put into supporting this conflict or invasion um occupation you know I'm, I'm not sure what the correct term at this point is to use um it's gotta feel like a personal insult in many ways yeah and i think you know obviously there will probably be a bit of an inquest into this death and they'll probably find that there are some mental you know health, mental health yeah. triggers you know involved you know and i don't think anyone would necessarily deny that on the face of it but yeah absolutely that there's there's a very clear like rationale as well yeah. you know people you know people are disgusted by what's going on and i assume that only intensifies if you're someone who has given time and blood and sweat and tears yeah. to sort of the united states government yeah, yeah. you're definitely going to be or you know as long as you are a pro-palestinian person which obviously this man was you know you are going to be horrified by what you're seeing yeah um and, and I think the reality is like this, this is having a mental health impact on thousands of people around the world. Like I know personally people who this is having a mental health impact on, you know, who are really struggling to just keep going while this is happening. And I completely understand that. It is just, um, it's frightening. And it's, it's not just necessarily people who work in the media. You know, if you, there are so many different roles and jobs like that are exposed to the death and the destruction. And it's, it's just, you know, you see it like the the Irish Civil Liberties, uh, they're the Irish Civil Liberties uh, Union. They're like a, a a kind of a civil rights watchdog. Mm -hmm. They came out this week and they they have data on like pro Palestinian posts being muted and shadow banned mm -hmm. and stuff by you know groups like Meta. So you see just how many uh, groups in Ireland, whether it's media, whether it's sort of the NGO section, so many people are so kind of like you know, the front lines is totally the wrong phrase, but so many people have to engage so yeah. closely yeah. with what's happening in, in Palestine. Yeah. And I think that is, that it is wreaking havoc on people. Yeah. And even aside from that, like, you know, I, my sister, for example, is just, I mean, completely like, I mean, can't stop thinking about it. You know what I mean? And if you're paying attention and if you're engaged with even just, if you're just a normal person who doesn't work in this area, but you're engaged with the social media accounts that are reporting on what's happening, you are being faced with some of the worst atrocities I think we've ever had, you know, that access to. Like, I remember, you know, if you think about the beheadings that happened 20 years ago, and it was a huge deal that these were, you know, video was being released of beheadings as part of um, kind of the the anti-terrorism operations by the United States. Like, we were so shocked by that. It was so appalling. Like, we couldn't believe that we were able to see it. I remember I was working in Current Affairs Radio at the time, so it was a, it was a huge deal. And now, almost every day, you can see something that's in that class of horror, um, and often to children. So, like, you know, it's, and, and, it's and massive. And oftentimes, you don't, you don't have a choice. You know, yeah. I think 
And if you remember, even say in, as recently as 2014, when ISIS were sort of, uh, you know, in the ascendancy, and there mm. were these, you know, footage of like U.S. journalists like James Foley being killed and beheaded, as you said. Yeah. But even then, it was a sort of a case of, you know, you could, you could opt in. You could opt in and opt out. Whereas mm. now is no way to use social media is such a crucial part of your sort of day-to-day -day infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, everything is sort of contingent on social media and there is no way to use social media without immediately being exposed to the, like just the most bloody uh and and kind of gory footage and and not just like not just bloody but just the inhumanity of it like it, it is just you are watching something that not only is it viscerally so horrifying mm -hmm. but it's horrifying on an emotional level because you stop and you think how can how can how can someone, how can an individual or a state or an army, yeah. you know, do these things? Yeah. Um, and I think we'd be naive to think that that isn't impacting people's general world worldview and general mental health. I mean, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, now, one of the big stories this week around Palestine was the fact that uh, kneecap, absolute legends, uh, in my opinion, mm -hmm. went on the Late Late Show on Friday night. And like other previous Late Late Show guests and contributors, they were asked not to talk about Palestine or wear anything pro-Palestine. And they did it anyway, um, despite agreeing to do it. Uh, DJ Provey here. You've, uh, you've done a bit of a, a costume change here. Yes. Uh, there you go. <laughs> now, um, I have to say, um, you know, I'm obliged to say this, that our thoughts are with everybody in that conflict. Some horrific stuff is happening there. I'm also obliged to say that in the politics, there's another side and some people mightn't agree with what you've done. So... 100%, uh, but so that's, that's why we're here and we use our platform to highlight the genocide that's happening in Palestine at the moment. 30,000. <laughs> Thirty thousand Palestinians have been murdered by American weapons, and mostly two thirds of them women and children. So I think we just have to. That's why we feel use this platform as an opportunity to appeal to Irish people to attend rallies and protests and to support the BDS movement to show solidarity of Palestine, and hopefully one one day the Palestine will be free. It's this, you know, I really like this, uh, particularly the fact that they've come out and confirmed that RTE did ask them not to wear the Gaza stuff. And they and said, they, yeah. And they agreed and then obviously decided to wear it anyway, which to me, you know, and obviously like it's it's really easy to to do big talk, but like that's that's kind of the right way to go about it. Yeah. I was kind of surprised, you know, it's this is kind of been amplified by the fact that the week before Irish Women in Harmony were also asked to remove certain Gaza uh, like, I don't know, I think there was a T-shirt in yeah. one case and uh, some badges um, and they agreed to take them off. And, you know, I have sympathy because a lot of times the people in these situations are not sort of, uh, they're not like died in the wall activists. They haven't yeah. been doing it a really long time. If someone tells you to take something off, maybe in the spur of the moment you take it off. I think I especially if you're part of a group as well, you, you know, the whole group is going on. You maybe don't want to be the one who upsets the opportunity or whatever. Like, I can understand that that would be a challenging moment. I can see, I can absolutely see how in the moment someone makes a decision and that's yeah. just kind of it. But I, I do I do think I ultimately do think that Irish Women in Harmony it would have been it would have been fantastic if they had worn it worn something because realistically Orti I don't think are going well you might be able to speak to this better than I can but I don't think Orti are going to have security on the floor who are going to prevent 
a performer from going on because they wear a Gaza t-shirt. I no, well, I mean, look, happen. we saw, I mean, uh, we saw what happened now because Kneecap did it on Friday yeah, night. That's it. It's not as if they get hauled off. So I think Kneecap have set a great example by, yeah. by put, you know, kicking the rules to the corner. And I think Patrick Kilty facilitated it quite well as well. Mm. Um, while he still sort of towed the RTE line, he was very effusive in terms of being like, I have to say this. Yeah. And I think when you do that, you make such a big song and dance about the fact that you're being made to say it. Uh, it makes people question, you know, whether or not, and it makes Patrick Kilty look as though he is sort of also on kneecap side and, mm. and thereby on the side of, of Palestine guys. I, I don't know. I'm not putting words in Patrick, mm. Patrick Kilty's mouth, but I'm just saying that he sort of allowed for it in a way that I don't know. I think, for example, if it had been Ryan Tuberty, it would have been a, certainly a much more awkward back and forth. Yeah. Um, I think like yeah, a like huge credit. People are just baffled, though, as to why this is a policy in the first place. And I have to say, I also find it baffling. Like, and I, you know, I fully understand Ortiz's kind of thing about balance and the fact that they're a public broadcaster. And I totally appreciate that having worked there for many years and received training and all the rest. Like, I understand that it is important that people have access to news that is unbiased, right? I, I agree with all of that. However, there's a couple of things. Number one, when someone wears a t-shirt, that's their personal position. That's not Ortiz's position. That's someone's personal opinion. So like, you know, I don't understand why you would present prevent people from expressing their personal opinions. Like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, maybe their argument would be, well, if we have people on expressing that personal opinion, then we have to have people on expressing the opposite, which they probably wouldn't want to do. But, but the thing that really, you know, you can get into the weeds about that when you start thinking about it too much. I mean, I think it's, it's a very extreme policy in general. However, it, the thing is, there was none of that with Ukraine, so, you know, Absolutely. we were doing, it, Ryan Tuberty was on the Late Late Show standing in front of a Ukrainian flag when that conflict kicked off and was in its, you know, when it was the big story. Like, it was okay for people to be on side with Ukraine, and yet it's not okay for people to be on side with Palestine. So where, why? Where's the, what's the difference? Like, I, that's what I would like explained to me. That's my issue, is that it's it's not a real policy. It's mm. not a policy that they stick to week on week, it's a thing that they specifically, you know, if you have something like, and I suppose this is BAI rules, but when you have something about a referendum, say when it was coming up to the marriage equality referendum, yeah. you know, you had people not being allowed to show support on air in, in that time. So it's just, it, and, but then, as you say, you have, you know, fundraisers for Ukraine, you have this, you have that. When you have some, you know, naturist guest on Tommy Tiernan talking about how he loves the sound of the birds, you don't also need someone else on to talk about how they hate the sound of the birds, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's like the whole thing is just this false balance. And I think it's it's just very transparent. People see right through it. And I think it doesn't help because it's built up on this last couple of weeks of RT of having had a bit of a shocker with yeah. various Palestinian you know, like there was the day when I think the IDF lost maybe 23 soldiers in one day and Orti described it as the day of the highest death toll in Gaza. As if, and they did delete that tweet, but it was as if to suggest that it didn't count mm. when it was Palestinians dying. Mm. So I think Orti just have had, you know, a shocker and a nightmare uh, in different parts of this. So, Well, let's be honest, Orti having a shocker nightmare across the board at the moment. We might as well move to that story now. Um, yeah, that's a, a convenient segue into <laughs> yeah. story two. Yeah, story we, story. we talked about it last week. Things have not gotten any better for Orti. In fact, I would argue things have gotten worse. 
Yeah, and like not just 4G, but now Catherine Martin is really in the mix as well. So mm. I think probably the craziest development of the last week was Catherine Martin, uh, the media minister, she appeared on primetime and she was asked kind of by Miriam O'Callaghan, she she twice claimed she had been misinformed by former, now former RTE chair of the board, uh, Shuni Rahali, about how these uh, exit payments went down. We discussed the ex exit payments last yeah. week. Um, and yeah, it turns out that uh, Catherine Martin probably wasn't misled, that probably actually uh, RTE had supplied enough information about how these exit packages worked and how the process uh, went down. But Shuni Rahali resigned at like 1 a.m. on Friday morning. And Sorry, I'm impressed that she stuck it out for as long as she did. I would have been like, I want no part of this. <laughs> like, get I, me out I, of I, here. I can't, I can't understand how anyone involved has stuck around. No. Like, if I, you know, and as I, you know, it's, I don't think it necessarily reflects well on me. You know, I don't think that makes me a good worker. <laughs> me neither. Like, if I were to mess up, if I were to mess up to such a degree, like I, or like not even just mess up, because not necessarily all of them have messed up. If I was just under that much pressure, I would be like, I'm gonna go do something else. I'd be you like, know, I'm, I'm gonna go in Thailand my, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna take my 30 or 40 years experience and my exit package, and I'm gonna go and do literally anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess that's that's where Shuni Rahali came down on shortly after midnight on Friday. Um, <sighs> but, but I yeah, mean, so it, and so like it, for me, it's it's a total cavalcade of you know, Orti had to put up a graphic on Friday to show which of their board members are still serving as board members um and you know Catherine Martin now whose position like Labour have called her position untenable I think uh Brian Stanley who's the chair of the the public accounts committee he said that effectively Catherine Martin sacked Shuni Rahli on air when when he when she declined to uh kind of express confidence in her mm. so you know Catherine Martin now is under huge pressure and for me it's it's just a total domino effect and a cavalcade of people being resigned and people sacking and it, it just it undermines RTE so much as far as you know trust in the public broadcaster which is something that I think is so essential you know an RTE at a staff level do incredible work mm -hmm. you know like RTE produce fantastic journalism mm -hmm. they produce fantastic programs mm -hmm. most of the people who do that do it on low salaries and shoestring budgets yeah um so Absolutely. the fact that at the top level and even at the government like where the government oversight is meant to come in over RTE it's all so chaotic it um, sure is and I think I don't know when we're kind of going to see an end to this saga like when you think about it we're kind of nearly a year into it now you know we're yeah. over six months it feels, it feels unending. Like it really does. Yeah. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, okay, let's move on. I found this interesting. So the Irish Catholic Bishops Conference has come out on the upcoming referendum um, relating to the definition of family. Um, I saw this headline and I was like, how out of touch are these people? Like, this is a, a strange take to make, in my opinion. Yeah, this is just, it's just not really what anybody wants to hear, is it? You know, like, so the, the bishops have come out and they've said that uh, a yes vote uh, in the referendum relating to the definition of the family would, would lead to a weakening of the incentive for young people to marry, which I think is just, it just goes to show that, like, this is what the bishops are always thinking about. Yeah. They're always thinking about making sure that people are getting married and I guess more importantly, making sure that people are procreating. Like that's what they need to be happening all the time. And it's just not the, it's not the metric that other people are using <laughs> to make referendum decisions. You know, but I so also think, I, I also think though, like the fact that they think that part of young people's motivation to marry is the constitutional definition of the family is hilarious. Like that's not why people get married. <laughs> like, exactly. That's crazy. It's just clutching at straws, you know, and it's it's kind of playing the same note. You know, you think that after kind of so many referendum failures in the last little while that the, the bishops would have a different playbook. But it's, you know, it's always the same thing. It's always about the family. It's always about making sure that people are kind of as nuclear as possible mm. and having children and just that that 1937 Eamon de Valera. It's, and it's so funny because it's the comely maidens thing and the women's right in the home. Like, this is exactly where it came from, this way of thinking. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, if people... If, um, but, I mean, the, cost, the the referendum coming up, it is, it is complicated. There's a lot of... Um, there are a lot of... Uh, carer groups yeah. and disability groups that are are on the side of a no vote yeah um, in it, the, it's a referendum so yeah it's not it's not straightforward as discussed and um, we did a full explainer on it with uh, Sinead O'Carroll on the podcast a few weeks ago I was actually asked over the weekend if I would separate out that because it's not it's not a direction on how to vote it's literally just here are the conversations that are happening around it so it might help you make a decision in terms of what you want to do um, and someone messaged me over the weekend and asked me to release that as a standalone podcast episode so that you could share it with friends if you want to so I'm going to do that this morning um, so it should be available very soon that's um, a great idea. And you won't get anyone better than Sinead either. No, so, you know, exactly. Sinead yeah. is bang on the money. And it, and honestly, there is no bias in there whatsoever. I still have not completely decided what I'm going to do personally, so I wouldn't be directing anyone. But I certainly won't be making my decision based on the Irish Catholic Bishops <laughs> Conference. That is something I can say for an absolute fact. Um, another story that is, is I'm hearing, it's coming up over and over again, is the price of baby formula at the moment. Um, I know this has been a big story in the UK, and it seems like people here are... are making it an issue as well absolutely justifiably in my opinion yeah well this is something and i know it's it's sort of my ignorance around matters like these and, and taking care of children has, has come up on the podcast before um, <laughs> well was, i'm here was, don't worry carl 
<laughs> I was totally blown away, you know, doing the sort of research for this uh, uh, for this story. And like just the price of baby formula is not only the price, but the frequency with which you need to keep buying it. Mm-hmm. So like you're talking about like one 800 gram tin a week minimum. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a price of between 15 euro and 1750. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a huge money. You're talking about hundreds of euro each year. Yeah. Uh, as long as you're feeding a baby with this this formula and yeah it's it's a tricky one because people are we've seen a, a huge rise in in shoplifting and baby formula and this is something that is kind of follows on from the united states like we've all seen i think social media footage of what's happening in pharmacies over there where you know a lot of baby formulas and things like that are going behind glass cases yeah because shoplifting has become so endemic and by the way 100 i'm not judging those shoplifters like no. if you're healing baby formula you need the baby formula yeah you know it's like that that phrase that you see you know if you see someone stealing baby formula no you didn't yeah because you know, it's a sort of snitch on someone in that situation is so crazy but it, yeah it, it seems like it, it it is really coming to ireland and it, it's i think part of it is because we have such a monopoly or you know not quite a monopoly but really two companies have cornered the entire baby formula market and that's danone mm. and nestle and they they own Mill and cow and gate and sma mm. so Whatever kind of baby formula you're probably buying, it's it's actually from these huge corporations, and uh, the the CCPC, which is Ireland's kind of consumer protection body, like they've said that they just have they have no role in the pricing of these things. They have no enforcement role. They can't suggest. They can't advise. They can't do anything really. Mm-hmm. So as long as you know these private companies want to set their price at this level, mm-hmm. there's nothing that Irish people can really do yeah. unless there were to be some sort of government intervention to, to put a, a price cap on it, yeah. which is not likely. These companies are still claiming that the the price cap, the increased prices are a result of like uh, inflation costs. But I mean, we're all dealing with inflation costs. We don't all have the option of, of uh, just kind of randomly ramping up our costs every five minutes or ramp, ramping up our prices. And, and it is just it's very disingenuous because we're seeing that like the groups within these major companies uh, that make baby formula, the the departments that make the baby formula are very profitable. So, you know, it doesn't really bear out. No. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's disturbing you know like i say as someone who has no a very little time i very rarely kind of step into this side of the world Mm. like it is it's very disturbing yeah i mean i I, what's complicated about this conversation always is that there will be people who will say well just breastfeed breastfeeding is free um and you know i am someone who very much was committed to breastfeeding going into having sam my older son i had an absolute nightmare with it it was and I am tough. I'm a tough bitch. Like I will persevere. I have a very high pain threshold. Like I did everything that I could. I got a lactation consultant. I, I, you know, I paid for that out of my own pocket. I really tried. I ended up pumping for months, which meant that I would get up and bottle feed Sam with my own breast milk in the middle of the night. And then I would stay up for a further half an hour to pump milk so that I would have food for his next feed. I did that for months. It, it honestly was hellish. Like it ruined my relationship with my son so even though I really and desperately at that time by the way we're fine now um but even though I I desperately wanted to breastfeed we couldn't make it work unfortunately eventually I had to let go of it after four months we couldn't make it work and 
I think there is kind of an arrogance sometimes and an, an idea that like everybody can breastfeed. It's just not that hard. And it can be incredibly difficult. You know, every baby is different. Every mother is different. Every situation is different. So it's not actually just a viable alternative to formula. In some cases, people will need formula no matter what. There are loads of different health reasons. There's loads of different biological reasons. There's loads of different circumstantial reasons that people will need formula. It is an essential part of our life. And if you think... If your argument is that for centuries women fed their babies, no problem. Wet nurses exist for a reason. There are babies that were being sent out of their villages to other villages to be fed. Like breastfeeding has not always been straightforward. That's just not the way that it is. And there's a lot of stigma around it in in every direction. Um, Formula is an essential part of lots of babies' lives. And that's just it. There's no argument against it. So, you know, really something needs to be done about this. And we haven't even mentioned the price of nappies, which have also gone up massively. Um, I'm just reading, uh, the Vincentian MESL Research Center keeps track of costs for nine-month-old babies and has found an 84% increase in the cost of nappies between 2020 and 2023. Like, it's insane. How are, like, these are essential items for children's welfare. Like, I just don't understand how it's allowed to be this way. That's, yeah, because these things, and again, speaking from a place of ignorance, but, like, for me, like, these things, you could make a case for them being free or at the very least heavily subsidized by the government, you know, depending on, like, I mean, like, there's so many things that we subsidize, and I just think that, you know, this is definitely something where, you know, people like because there simply is no alternative. Like if you you need to be able to access baby formula, you need to be able to access nappies. Yeah. There is no two ways about it. So the fact that people are struggling on a price level here is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a damning indictment of where we are for sure. Totally. Um, OK, let's quickly talk about the measles, because that's a thing again. And um, despite the fact that we have vaccines for them, um, 11 possible cases of measles in last week. Yeah, so 11 possible cases. These cases could kind of be confirmed or denotified later on. But yeah, like this is and 11. It might not numerically sound like a huge amount to people, but it is it's notable because it's, it's an increase. And it is it is it's, you know, it's the last thing you want to see, you mm. know, because the thing is that these things do have a multiplier effect. You know, the more people that get infected, the more people they're going to uh, infect. And, you know, like I suppose everybody remembers that from like the sort of or number era of covid where you know you think about how many people get infected each time but yeah 11 cases of measles is is certainly it's it's higher than we would like and it's it is it is concerning you know i suppose what you want to check out now on a personal level is is to make sure that you've had uh both doses of an mmr vaccine Mm. um over the course of your life i think you get one when you're a child and one when you're a teenager Mm. um so it's important to make sure that you are vaccinated against uh measles mumps and rubella because it is it is pretty freaky like it's the last thing we want and like so it starts with if you're on the lookout for whether or not you might have the measles it starts with a a cold like symptom that developed roughly 10 days after a person is infected and then a rash i think people are kind of more familiar probably with the rash symptom but Uh, it can have a it can have a very serious impact like it can really you know it's a serious illness um and it is highly infectious um sorry say that again yeah, I think particularly with babies and pregnant women. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, measles, it, it has the risk of being very dangerous. I think it can develop into uh, into quite a serious, like as in I think it can it can end up affecting your brain. It can end up affecting different components of your body. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, measles, it's certainly something that, that, you know, you want to avoid. And of course, it's something that we had, we had basically obliterated for 50 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you, 
you would wonder if vaccine hesitancy yeah. over the last while played some kind of role. But yeah. we don't know. But I, don't think. I would say um, if you're someone who has not had a, an MMR vaccine or who has decided not to give your children an MMR vaccine based on something that you've read on the internet, I would really encourage you to go back and um, have another look. Make sure that you're really firm and solid on your decision because there is a lot of misinformation out there. There really is. Um, and the last thing you want is to find yourself in a situation where you or your child is sick. And then, you know, after the fact, you realize that that maybe you were misinformed. Um, so definitely, definitely uh, give that some thought I think if it's something that you haven't done previously okay and just I thought it was worth mentioning that Body and Soul Festival is taking a pause after 14 years big news for lots of people for whom Body and Soul is like a kind of absolute solid in their calendar every June around the solstice yeah I'm completely raging and I really desperately hope they mean when they say it they are coming back because I've never been to Body and Soul but I, I've always every single year I'm like yeah gonna go to because for me the vibes seem like the the ideal vibes because I used to always love the body and soul mm. section of Electric Picnic. Yeah, like I used to, always, you know, that was the best place to just go and relax. Yeah, um, I remember I got something called a sonic massage there once. Which <laughs> was, <laughs> wow! You like lay on a mat and close your eyes and they play like nice sounds. It was pretty cool, you know. You know, probably worth. I'm sure it was worth whatever I pay. I'm sure it was like ten euro or something. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm raging to see Body and Soul, but but it is it, it is just a pause. Yeah, and they say they are, they are they're planning to come back. So Body and Soul, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a Westmead based music festival. Mm. Have we gone on? Did you say the last the last fourteen, 14 years? years yeah, fourteen, 14 years. years. Wow, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I've been like to people, most of them. Um, yeah, and people do love it. Like it's meant to be so mellow. It's meant to be so chill and relaxed and just. I think less pressure than other music festivals. Yeah, it's really um, nice. I mean, I think it's harder for festivals now because there's so many of them. Um, and, you know, there's lots of people kind of carving out similar space in the market. And last year, Body and Soul and Beyond the Pale were on on the same weekend, um, which I think made things a bit tricky because I was actually doing like a show, a show. I was doing a thing at both of them. So I did Friday and Saturday at Beyond the Pale and then I went to Body and Soul for Sunday. Um, and when you have those kind of conflicts, it's going to be tricky, you know? Um, but it's unfortunate because I think there is space for loads of different things. Um, so yeah, I presume Body and Soul, they say they're, they want to think bigger. So who knows what they're going to come back with. But I know it'll be really sad for a lot of people who go to Body and Soul every year. Because this is the thing. The festival you go to kind of becomes a part of your identity. Um, for sure. And, and probably a lot of people who like the Body and Soul vibe will probably be a bit nervous about it becoming bigger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think the appeal is that it was small. But I think if they, they thinking bigger, I don't think necessarily means making the festival sure. bigger. I wouldn't read yeah, that into it because I, I have spoken to like Avril Stanley, who is the, the founder of Body and Soul. Um, I think, let me make sure I have that right. But she's a very cool woman. And I know that she would be very protective of the vibe. Um, I, do, I, I would be very surprised if they came back and decided they were going to make it completely different or... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the new know. oxygen. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think they they would always want to create... Body and Soul Director, yeah, she's Director of Body and Soul. Um, and she created it, yeah. So um, I think that probably they just maybe are thinking about how they can do things a little bit differently. And, you know, 14, it's a lot to be putting on a festival every year. It's a lot of work. Um, maybe they just need yeah. a little breather. <laughs> And clearly there's a lot of challenges there. Like independents are taking a year off as well. Mm. Um, also, yeah, the weather I, last year was really difficult that weekend. It was a, I was there. I, like there was a lot of rain. I wouldn't be surprised if the site was even damaged by um, because, you know, Glastonbury takes a fallow year every few years to let the um, 
let the land recover. So that could be a factor as well. Yeah. Mm. Okay, finally, Vice. I feel really sad about this. Vice Media is going to stop publishing and they're laying off hundreds of staff. Yeah, it is really sad. It's it's such a, you know, I feel like even since I was a child, we've been sort of talking about like the death of journalism and the death of media. And, you know, with each passing year, you get these huge hammer blows of, of major layoffs. This one, I think, really will affect people because, you know, people in our age group, you know, would have grown up with Vice. I think Vice was often seen as like the like an alternative news source or just not even necessarily like it had a magazine style. You yeah. know, it had long features. It had people kind of, you know, fecking off to Colombia and doing drugs with some priests in, you know, <laughs> Medellin or whatever, you know, just like yeah. weird stuff that I think everybody likes to enjoy. Like, I think one that's doing the rounds this week that people really miss or people really loved was there's that article Vice had about the guy who went into a, a bar and played The Boys Are Back in Town on a jukebox like a hundred times until he was like <laughs> violently removed from the premises, which yeah. is one of my favorite articles ever. Um, but yeah, very sad. It's They've announced this week that they're, they're not going to publish any content to their own website anymore. And they're laying off hundreds of staff, mm. which I just think, yeah, like in terms of the the public is the real loser here you know vice wasn't perfect it had been owned uh it had been bought by rupert murdoch um mm. which was a bit like weird um you know given what vice offers yeah. you know um but you know i think people will will still be very sad to see it go for the most part totally um, like and there were really good people there as well like some of the, my favorite journalists or like you know people who've even moved beyond journalism that i I'm friends with on the internet and by friends with I mean follow um are people who you know I got to know through vice like Joel Golby for example who wrote a brilliant series um <laughs> rental opportunity of the week where he would highlight like absolute scum homes that people were renting for massive amounts of money and like it was in the UK but it, it, they were often on a par with Ireland <laughs> and you know it just felt good to have someone saying this is gross you know and there are lots of people doing that I'm not suggesting he was the only one but at the time it was a big deal to see someone calling it out and to have like a kind of semi-reputable publication online you know or otherwise highlighting these kinds of things was important I think it felt like I don't know, I felt reflected in Vice certainly at a time when I didn't feel necessarily reflected anywhere else. And that's really important. And it's really sad that so many different organizations like this are closing. You know, you really have to question, where are we going? Yeah, and they've given a lot of space to a lot of like great Irish writers and journalists who... Mm. For whatever reason, it's always been hard. like people who don't necessarily exist in the Irish media landscape. Like they're kind of more so based in the UK. Yeah. Like people like Roisin Lanigan, Roisin Kyber, Louise yeah. McLaughlin. Basically, like, you know, I don't know if they got their start on Vice, but they certainly got a lot of, you know, success out of Vice. Mm. So it definitely is. It's such a shame. And it's such a it just narrows down everybody's options. And I mean that both on in the level of like it narrows down journalists options and it also narrows down readers options. Mm. Um so it is just it's a sad state of affairs and you know like it sort of it feels like a bit of a you know it feels like it, it is indicative more broadly of sort of job security in the media sphere yeah um well, any, like, anyone who's a digital journalist is just like feels permanently sort of like on edge yeah and you kind of are like so where are people going if they're not going to places like vice where are they going instead tiktok um podcasts like am i part of it maybe um, and that's like the best case scenario like you know if they're coming here that's like the, the best case scenario yeah. worst case scenario <laughs> is, 
is that they are going to you know just the tiktoks of random people yeah um and just and just picking up you know whatever information scraps of information and bits and pieces which yeah. is just not it's no way for a society to function. No. And it is truly wild, the people who are just like becoming self-styled journalists um, on the internet. Like I know we saw it here in Ireland over the pandemic where there were people that, that just all of a sudden people were referring to as experts based on nothing. Like, I mean, they just had decided they were going to give the information. And so therefore they became an expert. Um, and you see it on TikTok all the time that people are reporting and I'm using that with air quotes on you know various cases or whatever but they have no journalistic background or training or integrity or any of that stuff I mean they're literally doing it for views and like at the end of the day that is what journalism has become no matter where it is you're doing it for views because it's a commercial business and like that's fine but at least if journalism is a profession and a craft you know you are trained you are trained in ethics you're trained in your responsibilities you're trained in terms of quality like all of that stuff and if we lose journalism as a profession then we lose the truth i think oh my god put that on a t-shirt where did that come from i know i know right that, that, was, that, that was inspiring actually <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the state of me oh it's true though um that would definitely be like the the podcast the slogan of the monday podcast you know <laughs> yeah i love it i love it where's the merch we got to get it going um speaking of trying to make money from uh, from making yeah, content yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um okay well carl thank you so so much that was very enjoyable i hope this is a good way for you to start your week off and um, what are you heading to do now today oh i've got class today which okay. I'm, I'm, I'm so nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm quite far behind with this whole. Although I will tell you, right? I've got all my grades now for the first half of the year, mm -hmm. and I'm on, an, I'm on an A average. Oh, so, excuse me. So you're fine. Yeah, yeah. have that, listeners. Good the, for the, you. Like, they must be the listeners. Must be so impressed. The but, listeners must be like, wow. Not just impressed. Getting an A. Wow. I would say proud as well. Probably, you know, the people probably feel very connected to you. Yeah, when I think of all the support I've had from them over the last couple of months, it has it's it has seen me through some of these essays and, and assignments for sure. I'm glad. <laughs> okay, so people can read your column surrealing in the years on thejournal.ie on Saturdays. Highly recommend it, and you can read bits and pieces of Carl's other work as well on thejournal.ie. But where else can people find you, Carl? Yeah, people can also find me on Twitter at TV's Carl Kinsella and on Instagram at Carl Kinsella. Well, thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.